welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Danielle Belton, the Roots Editor-in-Chief, here with Managing Editor of The Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Well, hello, everyone. We have a super fun guest on the show today, the talented and hilarious Michelle Buteau. Michelle has been a stand-up comedian since 2001 and is perhaps best known for her roles in Russian Doll, Always Be My Maybe, Tales of the City, and BET's The First Wives Club. She also had her first Netflix special come out in September of last year called Welcome to Bootopia. <laughs> she is also no stranger to podcasts, having hosted WNYC's Late Night Whenever and Adulting. Now Michelle is branching into the literary world with her new book, Survival of the Thickest, which is a collection of essays about her life and covers everything from her New Jersey Caribbean upbringing to her experience with IVF. I have to say, you know, Michelle really lets it all loose in this book and her like characteristically, I mean, you know, if you're, if you follow her, you know, she's totally irreverent, totally hysterical, totally a homegirl. And this book is so fun and funny because she's funny, but also really, um, you know, I think as we know, like nobody's one dimensional. And so you really get a lot of perspective on this very, very funny woman and, you know, just kind of how she attacks life and, and, and how it sometimes attacks back. Mm. Um, but you know, we love Michelle here at the root. Uh, she came and, and emceed one of our root 100. So I was really, really excited to have her on this week. Yes, she was our opening comedic act back in 2018. That's right. But, you know, what I love about Michelle, along with her irreverence and her humor and her wit, is that I just think she'd be perfect to play me in the movie of my life. Oh, my God, she would. (laughs) She's like too tall, but everything else is perfect. She really would. Michelle, we know she's already, you know, you know, she already gave you shouts for your skincare. So I think she'd be really flattered (laughs) to be asked. Exactly. Now you're going to be wondering who would play me. Hmm. (laughs) I think you should play yourself. You're gorgeous. Oh, God. (laughs) Nobody wants to see that. (laughs) Well, I don't think we should keep this conversation from listeners any longer. So let's get into it. (laughs) Let's do it. All right, Michelle. Yes. Welcome to It's Lit. <laughs> thank you so much. It feels so litty. Oh, thank you. We try to keep it lit up in It's Lit all day, every day. And we cannot be more excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Can I just say what in the skincare is going on? You guys have beautiful ass skin. I have a very elaborate routine now <laughs> since I have nothing better to do thanks pandemic. Okay. Okay. It's like the ocean. It fixes itself. I'm here for yeah. it. <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny because I don't think our I don't think our listeners realize that we actually do this over Zoom yes. and that we can see each other. And I was also marveling at your natural beauty. So it's it it is a mutual love fest over here. <laughs> You're so <laughs> We're all very pretty. Yes. yes. So You know, we've been wanting to make this interview happen, Michelle, ever since we heard you had a book coming out. And we're going to get into this hilarious collection of essays in a minute. But first, we have a ritual here at It's Lit. Since this podcast is about Black books and Black writers, we start each episode by asking our guests 
to name at least one book that was life-changing, life-affirming, blew their mind. You didn't know it was possible to have that in a book. Book. And what was that book for you? Oh, my goodness. What a crazy question. And I feel like, oh, that's like asking my favorite Prince song. There's so many. How do you? That's like your favorite child. You cannot. But if I had to. Mm. <laughs> um, I love Alice Walker. And I cannot tell you how many times I've read The Color Purple. I just of cannot course. even tell you. And at this point, it just feels like a Bible where I just open it and pick a page. So, yeah, I just thought that was such a. Just a beautiful, honest, raw, well to And then, like, forget that the color purple is actually my favorite color. And forget that I love Prince. And then that is purple. And then forget that I've seen, like, what, three different versions of it on Broadway and the movie so many times that I could be a co-producer. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I think that's the one. And I also have more than one copy. Sort of like friends that get high and they have, like, a little bong or something, at, like, in every room. Yeah. That's me with the color, <laughs> the color purple. I have it in both my kids' rooms. Anyways. You never know when you're going to need to like grab a passage. So yeah, it makes sense. <sighs> yeah. I mean, you know, that you've just solidified that I'm like, you, you and I are soulmates because I'm a Minneapolis native who chose her college based on the fact that Alice Walker attended. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, when <laughs> is the boozy brunch? Ah. Let's do it. As soon as we get back you to know, it. You know, does this bottomless, bottomless mimosa come with a side of vaccine? Put it in my city. Exactly. I don't even care at this point. Just find a hole. <laughs> it's like, I would just like vaccine. Does vaccine come with the vaccine? Is it going to be properly refrigerated? <laughs> listen, listen. That part, that Am part. I going to get both doses? Like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, get that two for one with your Coles coupon. Let's go. Exactly. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, so, Michelle, most people know you as an entertainer. You've been a comedian for nearly 20 years, appeared mm-hmm. in any number of films and TV shows. You hosted the podcast Late Night Whenever. You are one of the co-stars of First Wives Club on BET Plus. And your first Netflix special, Welcome to Bootopia, mm-hmm. debuted last fall. Yeah. You've even blessed us with a set at our 2018 Route 100 Gala. I sure did. It was Look, you sh- I st- I was the first I I was the first up. I was like maybe we could have just eased our way into the dick jokes because we were still at the appetizers. I felt bad. Yeah. No, I no, don't feel bad. I mean, I feel like cocktail weenies and dick jokes go together. I do. The, the Rue 100 is a magical gala where sophistication and ratchetness combine and create a magical oh, evening. Oh, absolutely. So don't feel bad. Not to mention the fact that at that point we were all drinking on an empty stomach because dinner hadn't been served <laughs> yes. yet. So it was perfect. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's my go-to. <laughs> so now that you've added author to your esteemed list of jabs, because you have so many jabs, <laughs> and with your first book of essays, Survive the Thickest, yes. tell us, How did this project come to you and was writing a book always on your bucket list or an unexpected opportunity? Oh, Lord. Okay, no, bro. Damn. That's so good. Well, I always wanted to write a book. I think every comedian feels like they have stories that don't necessarily fit on the stand-up stage. And after podcasting for a while, I was like, wow, I really do have stories that resonate with people that aren't you know, it would feel, it would feel insincere just to sort of take these stories and make them into a seven minute bit with set up punch. 
But I always had this book I see in the back of my head swimming. Um, not the one that I did, but this other one. For like six years, I tried to write this book and I couldn't get past the proposal. And it was originally supposed to be called Maintaining Chunky, A Thick Girl's Guide to Not Getting Fat, dot, 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 or skinny. But then I was like, I just sounded like a lazy Jillian Michaels where I'm just like, do the squats on a dig if you want. That's cardio. And I was like, this is, this is, you know, it's a segment in a show. It's not the whole show. And so, um, as I was podcasting with late night, whenever, and then adulting with my friend, Joran Carlos, I would just like make a list of stuff. And then, uh, somebody at Simon and Shushu heard the podcast and they were like, have you thought about making this in a book? I'm like, for six years. Um, but I, you know, it's sort of just like, what you think your wedding should be or something in your twenties. You're like, Oh, I need a princess gown. And this is what, you know, you don't even know your own voice yet. Right. So Simon and Shushu was like, you don't need a theme for a book. You just, you know, just write some stories. I said, Oh, I got stories. And as I was going through the subjects, I'm like, Oh wow, girl, you survived some stuff. And so that's how survival of the thickest plus size essays in a small minded world. came together and I had this notion of also just renting a house like in Mallorca or upstate New York and you know just same thing (laughs) depending on your budget your good imagination you know just looking at a body of water from a very like mid-century modern desk writing this book um that was not this this was this, you know, like the first couple episodes of I might, De- I may destroy you where she's just like riding in the back of a taxi while still on the phone with Uber Eats. Like that's what it was. Like I was taking care of the twins. I don't know why I thought, Oh, when the twins come home from the hospital, I'll have time to write bitch. And like, I don't have time to like wipe my ass properly. What I'm write a book. And then I was filming the JLo movie, which was a, a wild. So in between takes, I would try to finish a story. And she would just be like rehearsing dance moves and like making shark tank deals. She's such a boss. It's crazy. Um, she's dancing all the time, even when she's just like ordering food and talking to people. I'm like, where's my chair? I need to sit. <laughs> I feel like I answered your question, but I don't remember what the question is. At a certain point, it does you know, feel like I'm a panic a that's, yeah, that's what matters. And no, we were. I, I was vibing with it, and you know, I love that you actually alluded to how the the title happened because you had me hooked at the title. You know, Danielle and I are both proudly and happily thick girls. Like I, I always joke that I'm like thick no matter what size. Yes, I am. So, it's true. <laughs> you know, like survival of the thickest, like as a phrase, definitely resonated with both of us. And you know, even though. The title itself, I mean, you have an essay in the book that is titled Survival of the Thickest, but it also provides the subtext that I not only relate to, but I find it consistent with the way that it feels like thick girls or big women get clocked as we like move through the world, right? Like we have to like wear it, like this other part of our identity or consciousness, you know? And you are someone who's made a career in the public eye. Like, have you felt like that? Like, this is like part of... The persona? I mean, that's so... Wow. I don't think that I've hmm, thought about it that much. I think that um, (laughs) for me, it's it's so fucking bananas to like disassemble the patriarchy, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. if the common man don't find you fuckable, you know, if you're not the Jasmine guy or the Lisa Bohe 
or whatever the fuck. It's just like, well, I guess I just got to find my place. And thank God I had um, funny in my back pocket to go to. And as things started to shift, you know, with body positivity and being sex positive and just more networks and outlets, you know, that are streaming and stuff like that for us to go to. And then like people, you know, we can create our own content and do this and this and that. And the fact that like Tracy Oliver, who has created First Wives Club, which is why I'm in Atlanta right now filming season two, has made Jill Scott and I regulars on a show where usually you just get the one, whether it's like the one black girl, whether it's the one thick girl, whatever it is, there's always like the like space for one. And the fact that we're both here, both having sex scenes, both, you know, I love that people are realizing that big bitches are worthy of love. And yes, we are here and everybody's worthy of love. Right. So to answer your question, it's just like, wow, it's sort of like a marathon where you just try to get to the next mile and then you look back and you're like, whoa, look at all that stuff I did. And I didn't even know. I just can't let other people's basic opinions define my happiness. And if I always waited on Hollywood or the man or whoever the fuck to do what I wanted to do, then I wouldn't get anything fucking done. And yes. that means like everything, like everything, whether it is loving myself or uh, being successful or even having children, you know, the government at every corner was like, no girl, you can't have, you can't stay pregnant because this is out of pocket. No girl, if there's something wrong with your body over 40, that's not our fault. You should have had your kids in your twenties. Like, <laughs> at, and then it's just like, well, can I go down the surrogacy road? route no girl not in new york it's not legal so again if i had a weight on everybody i would just oh, i'd be just like arrested development still living at my house playing bingo with my mom no uh, i could totally relate i mean there's so many times that i've encountered people who were like oh you know i'll go to the beach when i finally lose weight like what if you never I lose know. weight? Never gonna go to the beach yeah it's never gonna go right like everyone's no, waiting like, to, for them to be worthy of something like no you're already worthy of it yes that is so sad i'm just like and this is why like i love walmart and sears because i'm just like ooh, xxl okay let me go sit down and always have a wedgie in the sand i love it maybe i'll find a yeah. pearl in my butt by the time i get home <laughs> yeah i'm gonna say some of my favorite swimsuits are from walmart yo like real talk i was like mm. <laughs> i'm more of a tarjay shopper not mad not i mad. mean Yo, you're bougie. <laughs> <laughs> you bougie bitch. No, I'm I love kidding. it. I'm kidding. No, I, real talk. I was in Florida visiting my parents and like my, my stepmom was like, yo, you, you got to go to Walmart. You know, you need a swimsuit. And I was like, I mean, I guess. But it was cute. Like, there's cute It is cute. There. Where in Florida? <laughs> Sarasota. Ooh, I know Sarasota. I know. My godfather lives there. They have a whole airport now. Good for them. Oh, nice. I know. Coming up. <laughs> <laughs> so beyond the body image conversation, uh, in your book, you have a lot of advice um, about chronicling while, while you're chronicling your life and comedic career up to this point. In fact, a lot of people probably don't know that you started out in journalism, just like us. Mm -hmm. And in the book, you talk about making the leap to a comedy career after you covered 9-11, which, you know, totally makes sense to me. Like, that is a stressful like, I'd, I'd be ready to just go do something fun, to be honest to you. In fact, your first gig was only three days later. Right. We're now in the midst of another national tragedy, one in which a lot of folks have been forced out of their jobs and into so-called hustle mode. Having navigated your own way out of tragedy into a new career, 
Is there any advice you'd like to give those starting over from scratch? Damn. I mean... No pressure. You know, (laughs) it's so hard because the thing that I chose to do is... It's a social gathering, which is, you know, we cannot do that now. But I think whatever you want to do, this is the time. I just talked to my friend last night for about an hour and a half. Jersey Jen, she's in the book. Um, Yeah, she likes Madonna. She loves Madonna. (laughs) She just um, broke up with her girlfriend of eight years. And I'm like, and when I say whatever you want to do, whether it's learn a language or realize that you, you shouldn't be with this person, whatever that is, do that now because, you know, that's a natural quarantine in and of itself. So you might as well do that now while we have the time, right? My friend Francesca Ramsey, hilarious. She, mm-hmm. she took a ukulele, uh, lessons because one of her resolutions was to write more music. And now she's like going to be working with musicians. It's like, Great. You know what I mean? Like whatever that thing is, the time is now. And even if that's just like learning how to meditate, just do it. You know, it's, I always get so mad at myself when I'm just like, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. And I never do it. it. It's, and the same with my friends and my family. It feels like I'm having the same conversation with them for a year or two. It's like, just rip the bandaid off. Like it might be better. If it's worse, you can always go back. Exactly. And that is for like anything. Oh, precisely, precisely. You know, and I've started over several times now uh, as a writer, so I can completely relate. There's also What do you mean you started over several times as a writer? I have been laid off. Right. I have been fired quit. That's where like (laughs) I quit before I got fired. And it was like a I've rage quit a few times. Oh. I've had jobs completely disappear, just like, you know, poof. I had TV shows get canceled. I've had it all. So, oh, yeah. The graveyard of the TV shows should just be a whole ass network anyways. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, I've had to get up and d- dust myself off and start over quite a few times. Plus, on top of that, I don't know if we've tackled this on It's Lit yet. I think we've talked about it in passing. Like, I have bipolar disorder. And so there's been a few times my mental illness has held me back from getting to where I needed to go at different times in my life and told me that I just need to completely stop and reassess things. So yeah, like I, all I do is pivot all day. (laughs) I will say that if, if you do have a superpower though, Danielle, I would say that it's that you create an empathetic workplace when it comes to all of us being able to discuss our various mental health issues. Well, I try, you you know, know, because, you know, what a beautiful, a lot of us at work are like, you know, we have depression, we have anxiety, we deal with anxious topics. Yeah, no, it's a stressful job. Journalism is stressful. It's so stressful. One of my friends had to go back to work. She was a a line producer at NBC when I was an editor, and she had left to become a personal trainer. She lost a bunch of weight. She figured out how to do it. Um, She realized that she was gay, like literally just shed off a whole-ass life. And um, really wanted to focus on Black women in their 40s and 50s and 60s who feel like that they can't have a second mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And obviously when this hit, you can't just be training people all the time over Zoom. And so she went back to work. And then, of course, the race riots and the everything. And then she's getting all the Black stories. And it's, um, you know, we don't realize how much we really go through. Mm-hmm. And, and that we're even carrying 
the energy, the anxiety, the all of that stuff from our ancestors. Yeah. You know, and the interesting thing about having a white husband <laughs> who is from a place mm-hmm. where there's like basically there's never anything wrong. Like the police don't have guns. The government gives a fuck about you. Everybody's educated, speaking two, three languages. Black people can swim and ride bikes. It's like, what the fuck is, mm-hmm. what is Hollywood? And so for him to actually see what it's like being in America and then see how people treat me without even knowing me feels validating because I'm just like my whole life. I feel like I have to go through it and then try to prove that I'm going through it, which is just like exhausting. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, God, I can't let everybody steal my shine. I'm going to be a balding introvert. Mm -hmm. What was the question? I don't even remember the question. No, we just started. <laughs> we just started vibing. You know what? There for we're chatting. We're just all chatting. We're vibing. We're chatting, and you know, it's it, it's it's all it's all, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's, it's all, all good. <laughs> BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Actually, I had a question about your husband. Could you talk about this in the book? Oh, yeah. Uh, the dear. <laughs> and I love that you just call him husband. It's so much easier. Oh Even God. with my kids, I just say boy and girl. And they answer to it. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, you know, I was thinking, one of the things that stood out to me, because Danielle and I actually were discussing interracial relationships just yesterday. We were talking about the new Black Bachelor and how with black men, like there, there seemed to be this like weird coded language he was using about like who he was expected to date. You right. Know? I, and I fun fact, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't, we, I didn't watch it. I just, we just knew about it. There was this clip floating around and, you know, fun fact, my relationship with the root began with an article about interracial dating. In fact, I was specifically talking about the potential of being fetishized in those relationships and you get into it too. And in fact, you know, we both describe ourselves as equal opportunity. <laughs> daters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, I'm wondering if we dated the same expat rapper. So we're going to, you know, I'll, I'll ask you about that. Uh, I was like, wait, I feel like I know what this is. <laughs> but you, yes, you married interracially and you also married internationally. Uh, your husband is Dutch and you talk about that expectation that you kind of have to somehow justify this, you know, especially to other Black folks. So, you know, we were talking about how we kind of feel like there's a weird double standard there. Like, what do you make of that? Like, that there's this double standard for Black women in particular to have to justify that. Always. I mean, all types of women, particularly Black women, we always have to explain ourselves. We always have to apologize for our power and our opinions and shit. And I'm just so tired of trying to fit into the middle seat for everybody. I'm the whole damn aisle. Fucking get used to it. If you don't understand my shine, go the fuck over there. I fucking can't. You know what I mean? And that's the beautiful thing about the 40s. Like nobody told nobody told me in your 40s you really don't give a fuck. And I can't even not wait for my 50s because I'm just like, 
oh, I'm going to have no friends. And the friends I do have are going to be like, they're just going to be my destiny's child the second go round. Like, it's going to be great. <laughs> so, gosh, yes, the the having to explain it all, you know, at this point, it just feels like education through love. It feels like people have this generalization in their mind from other people, from other generations and shit like that. And so at this point, because I've always had to answer to people why I'm like, why I'm Caribbean, why I'm sex positive, why I'm a blah, 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 blah. You know, it's just like, okay, they don't know. And I have to tell them. And I kind of, I never wrote for the news, but, you know, as a field producer and editor, you're just like kind of helping the writers. Um, I remember one of the rules was write the story as if you're talking to a five-year-old. And so I've always kind of taken that with me. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to explain this to you like you're five years old. Yeah. I mean, explain this to you as a five-year-old, I think is like, kind of like, I I mean, I think that's a really good way way of putting something that seems really basic. I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody, look, even people who fetishize, I don't think you get into those relationships without having some understanding of the deep dynamics at play. But the assumption that everybody is like engaged in some sort of weird fetishistic activity, I think is always kind of like, yeah, why, I why feel are we like that's always men. Men are strange. Yes. I feel men are fucking strange. You know what I mean? It's just like, I can't, I, I cannot even understand the world that they want. They so don't understand like, the world that they want. <laughs> like, so how are we supposed to figure out that they don't even know what they, they don't yes. know what they want? Yes. I just, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to be over here having like eight to 12 glasses of water and yeah. live. Oh, they're living in houses with beds with no headboards and one set of sheets and one set of towels. Lord. Maybe Lord. may or may like not that. have a shower curtain waiting for some woman to save them. <laughs> they definitely don't have a shower curtain liner. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, another thing you touched on in Survival of the Thickest that I can't gloss over because I think it's so relevant is colorism, you know, Mm -hmm. which we all know is really real, especially in entertainment. And you challenge it. You said, you know, you kind of, you, you talk about it, you know, as something that we need to be really intentional about dismissing and dismantling amongst ourselves. You know, again, we meaning black folks. But do you think like we'll ever realistically be able to get past that? Like, you know, as long as like there's privilege attached. Like, you know, and so directly correlated to skin tone. Right. You know, this is the thing, right? It, you have to, you have to acknowledge that this shit is there and what your history was in order to move forward. And so I'm always like, we are stronger together. This is the fucking, again, the fucking patriarchy was just like, that one is better and just have the one. And, the, and it's just like, no, we can all fucking exist together and love on each other and so for me one day shit 500 years from now i mean we might just all be like binary just out here they them getting paid equal you know wearing a bunch of yeezy outfits (laughs) i don't fucking know Um, i don't know i mean i feel like i'm wearing one now i think i think (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm like oh you mean all my tie-dyed sweatshirts are actually you know yeah (laughs) So, like, obviously, we could talk to you forever. 
because you are so insightful and funny and this has been like absolutely amazing. But something that I wanted to talk to you about or just ask you about uh, that you talk about in the book is about your journey into parenthood, like of, of your journey to becoming a mother and how you went through several rounds of IVF and miscarriages before conceiving your twins, you know, via surrogacy. So um, since we're, you know, all three of us are around the same age here, this is something that really struck a chord with us. Uh, in fact, I actually wrote a personal essay lamenting the loss of our viable options as we, you know, to become mothers as we age. Um, you didn't shy mm-hmm. away from like sharing this like really painful aspects of your experience, including some of the depression and disenchantment that, you know, popped up. So why was it important for you to be so transparent about that process? Um, I'm a truth teller, right? That's how that's how I make my money. That's who I am. And it really made me so sad that I had no one to talk to. There weren't any books, you know, there were just articles that sort of pointed to blaming me, you know, for whatever I was doing or not doing it. It just, I just felt like, God, I have, how, how is it that I have this beautiful life and all these friends but I have no one I could talk to about this. That's crazy. And how come no one is talking about it? Because then when I would tell people I had a miscarriage, they're like, oh, yeah, me too. Well, how yeah. are you? Why are we not talking about it? You know, I don't give a shit about the TikTok dance or the hashtag or whatever. It's like, I need the important stuff. Like, if you're going to ask me how I'm doing, then you should mean it. Because I mean it when I ask you how you're doing. And so... Yeah, I felt the need to share it because, you know, I realized that there's power in sharing your story and that people will not only be educated, but feel less alone and figure out what to say to that person that is going through their thing. Because I'm like, these women are out here. I'm in the waiting room three times a week for five years. I see them. Oh, yeah. definitely, definitely. It's interesting. You were talking about there, there, are they two now? Are they two yet? They're going to be two on the 19th. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I was a little, you know, and this is just a quickie, but I had to shout out your husband because you shout out your husband here. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, I can't imagine writing a book while having two children under the age of two. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, and... And you shout him out in your thank yous and you say he he enabled you to be able to shut yourself in a room and do this. And it made me think of this, uh, another author, Caitlin Moran, who says that, you know, your partner is your glass ceiling. Um, do you think that's true? Oh, my God. Uh, I think that's so different for everybody. But mm. I can honestly say I can't imagine life without him. <laughs> I don't know. Did he ask you to ask me that? No, no. But I think it's adorable that you think he did. <laughs> no, it's important, yeah. you know, to have a good partner, especially especially once there's kids involved, because there's so much work and kids take up so much time and energy. And if that primary relationship isn't right, then nothing's right, you know? That is 100% correct. <laughs> That's 100% correct. Yeah. And, um, you know, my career is very self-serving. So I always try to make sure that, and I love to plan. Like, I don't know how to not do something. 
So whether it's like matching pajamas or a trip or this or that, or we're baking something today, it's really nice to create family bonding time. Ah! I love it because my dad was very busy. and My mom was like, well, whatever your dad needs, we got to do it. I'm like, all right. But what about you, girl? What you want? Exactly. Exactly. So this has been amazing. Oh, um, yeah. Are we done? We're almost done. I have just <laughs> almost. Oh, done. I just had one final question. All right, I'm so busy brunch on the horizon. Yeah. So it's like it's 2021. <laughs> we made it to a new year. You've got your new book. You've got hopefully in the next five minutes or weeks, couple of weeks, we'll have our new president and a new administration and just a whole new energy in this country. That's what we're going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have? Any particular hopes for this new year? Or do you have any perhaps survival tips to share for staying the course as a creative person? Oh, man. A couple of things. I end my special Welcome to Utopia with the reminder that we should be kind to each other. Because I feel like not only with Trump's administration, but just in general, the Internet I think people forget that we are people on the other side of whatever comment they're posting. And I'm here for a good read. I, lo- You know, I'm not mad at it. If it's funny, I'm here for it. But if it's just mean, like, you're fat, that doesn't bother me. I am. Thank you so much. You're not fuckable. Well, I've been fucked. You know what I mean? Like, all these things. It's just like, you know, and then you go to their page and it's just like Christian father of two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, I just feel like just take a moment, you know, just take a moment to realize that we are all someone's child and uh, sister or auntie or whatever. Like, we are all people, right? I think I was reading, God, what book was this? Something about like wellness and like eating clean. I just skimmed it. (laughs) But one of the things that really stuck out for me was colors, bright colors, like sort of you are what you eat, right? And so if you pick something bright, then it'll nourish you in a different way and you'll feel different. It, you know, I don't think we realize that food really is powerful. And, you know, we're not treating ourselves by, you know, sucking on a mozzarella stick or a chicken <laughs> bone. You know, we're treating ourselves by being kind to ourselves. So it's just like, you know, at least one time, just pick the hummus and the fucking peppers. There's so much vitamin C, especially now with the virus looming over us that we're trying to get rid of, you know, Health is more important than ever. Health is not about wearing a fucking bikini and a crop top. It's about, you know, being strong and living long. So I really hope that, ooh, vitamin D, you know, the vitamin and the dick, <laughs> just do it. I don't know. Those are my, those are my tips and tricks. <laughs> those are, those no, are great. I'm, I'm here with you because I feel like vitamin D de- deficiency took on new meaning this oh. year. So thank you. Did it though. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I look anemic as that. I think I need to eat a plant. It's just like, how do I have a white face and brown titties? It is no. not okay. <laughs> it is not okay. Um, also, you know what I love too? Shit. I thought I was going to throw, like throw away all my shoes because I'm like, where yeah. am I going to wear them? But sometimes I just wear them in the house like a drag queen practicing in heels, yes. vacuuming. Like, we still need to get to our closet and wear it, you know? You might as well. I, I totally agree. I try to put myself into something nice every day, even if it's just the nice pair of sweats. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I put on makeup Aww, for you guys. So there you go. Thank you. <laughs> we feel special now. 
I know. I wish I did the same. <laughs> you, you look, look fantastic. Great. You look absolutely great. <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us on It's Lit. It was amazing. You're amazing. So much. It fun. was lit. You, you guys are amazing. You have to come back. Write another book. Please do. Oh yes. shit. I'll see you in eight okay. to ten years. <laughs> <laughs> The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton Danielle. And you can always find me at Maisha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always have to talk a bit about what we're currently reading. Maisha, what are you reading these days? You know, uh, one of the highlights of this gig is getting so many cool books. And I just got one. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this one because, you know, my beat at the root, uh, assigned to me by you, is uh, beauty and fashion in addition to arts and culture. And I got this book called The African Lookbook, which is a visual history of 100 years of African women. And I love this book for so many reasons. It is literally, uh, you know, uh, this author, Catherine McKinley, Catherine E. McKinley, she compiled her own collection and I think, you know, a bunch of other resources of African women throughout a century, really to illustrate the indelible and, and long-lasting impact that African women have always had on fashion. You know, we, we see a lot of this, like, you know, kind of like poverty porn or tourist, you know, these images, these like National Geographic, like images that, you know, a lot of us grew up with of African women and African culture. And this book really dispels a lot of that. And I really dig it for that. I mean, obviously there's a place for that and that's how some people live, but there's also these incredible cosmopolitan cultures in Africa. So this book really pays uh, homage to that. I also have to shout out that Catherine McKilley and I went to the same alma mater, which is Sarah Lawrence. I found that out after the fact. So, you know, there's some black girl magic coming out of that school. What are you reading these days, Danielle? You know, I'm reading a book that's been sitting on my shelf for a minute that I finally got around to. It is There You Are, a novel by The Roots' own, the, the mother of the Roots own Gal Friday um, and my personal assistant slash mentee, Bella Moraes. It's her mother, Mathea Moraes, oh. wrote this novel. Um, it's an amazing book. Um, I'm glad to finally get around to it. And Bella is like an amazing person. So I'm super excited to support. Bella is an amazing person. And I think we should also give her a shout out because she is also part of our support crew on It's Lit, which is not only a podcast, but a silo at the root. And Bella does our book roundup. So she is the one who is bringing books to the masses that we can't necessarily get to on the podcast. So shout out to Bella. Yes, she is our Jill of all trades. That's right. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. In the meantime, keep it lit.